We are kicking things off with a word from our sponsor. The new streaming service, Film Movement Plus, opens a world of award-winning entertainment, including some of the best films from around the globe. Among the hundreds of titles waiting for you to discover are some of the best films from 2020, including The Wild Goose Lake, Zombie Child, and more. Available on Roku, Apple TV, and Amazon Fire, as well as streaming online and on mobile, Film Movement Plus is priced at $5.99 a month. But as a listener of Watch with Jen, Film Movement Plus will give you a 30-day free trial plus the next three months at 50% off when you use the promo code WATCHWITHJEN, all one word. Sign up today at filmmovementplus.com. Hey, this is Jen Johans at filmintuition.com and filmintuition on social media and Letterboxd. And this is Watch With Jen. Today's guest is Kate Gabrielle, a freelance illustrator, blogger, and film fan. Kate Gabrielle is one of my favorite contemporary artists. Currently working out of her home in New Jersey in one of the cheeriest rooms I've ever seen in my life with foreign and vintage film posters, classic movie stills, signed photos, beautiful floral prints, movie tie-in books, and collectibles as far as the eye can see. It's everything I love about her store come to life of passionate Democrat, feminist, and classic movie lover. Kate is a huge fan of Jane Fonda and the film Sunday in New York, Francois Truffaut, Elaine Delon, Chad Everett, The X-Files, The Color Pink, Cats, and TCM, and her shop filled with fun retro art, ornaments, dresses, bedding, cards, pins, and more has become a must for fellow hashtag TCM party fans, and I have a number of her items in my home right now. Essentially, the human embodiment of Sunshine, who creates things she personally wants to see in the world, spread joy, and support fellow artists, especially women, I am so excited to welcome Kate Gabrielle to Watch With Jen and Friends today. Welcome, Kate. So, Kate, welcome back. I'm really excited to talk to you today. So, how are you doing, and how have you been adapting to the ongoing pandemic? Um, Well, first of all, it's fantastic to be back. Um... And thank you for having me again. Oh, anytime. um, I'm adapting pretty well because I guess my life hasn't actually changed all that much. I'm a bit of a hermit. So I didn't used to leave the house that often before. And (laughs) I don't leave the house that often now. Um, I actually, me and my family have been quarantining since last March. So Mm -hmm. um, other than I go for walks every once in a while outside. But other than that, I haven't been out of the house since last March. So, yeah, it's um, been hard for sure. But like I said, I didn't, other than going to like Target um, and the grocery store, I didn't go out that much. So um, it's not that much of an adjustment, but I am looking forward to going to Target again someday soon though. Oh yes, definitely. (laughs) I love Target. My family keeps, they keep making fun of me because that's what I keep mentioning about when this is all over, what's the first thing you want to do? And I'm like, Target, I want to go to Target. (laughs) I just want to look through the dollar spot. (laughs) That's the best place, isn't it? Like you find just gold there. Like I found all this Hello Kitty stuff and oh, it's amazing. And you can't shop that online usually. It's not like 
the no. rest of the Target stuff, you can go online and look through it, but it's not the same as going to the dollar spot. Not and at stopping all. Stopping at their Starbucks that's built in first and getting a drink and walking around the store. <laughs> yep. Yeah, because Starbucks is usually like right across from there. They have one in my Target. Or yeah, inside the yeah. Target, like right across yeah. from the dollar stuff. So it's nice. Yeah, yeah. It's like go grab something. You know, and then you feel like you're finding buried treasure or like garage yep. sailing essentially because it's like, I don't ever know what I'm going to find. Yeah. Yep. And it's all like a dollar or three dollars. So I don't feel guilty buying no. like five things. So. No, not at all. Well, you did a gorgeous collaboration of holiday art with Netflix. You designed yes. the logo for Watch with Jen, which I love. And you've recently unveiled new items in your shop, including a great baby fish mouth or When Harry Met Sally tea that I immediately snapped up. So what's new on the artistic front? Is there anything you can tell us about? Um, there's one thing I can't talk about that I'm very excited about Ooh. where I might possibly be working with a company that I'm very very in love with. Uh, oh, very so exciting. That's exciting. Um, and then personally, just um, more button sets and <laughs> more t-shirt designs, just my normal stuff. I'm, I'm working on a coaster set, actually, that's um, each, it's four coasters and each coaster is like a restaurant from a movie. So oh, they're cool. like fictional restaurants from classic movies. And um I'm planning on doing like a very limited release of those because I designed them and was really excited about them. And then when I started laser printing them, I realized it takes two hours in the laser printer per set of four. <laughs> so, oh my gosh. Uh, so it's going to be like a very limited run that I'm going to do, but I'm excited about them because they came out really, really cute. Oh, so, cool. I can't wait to see those. You made the coolest new Christmas card design the how was it have a uh, noel. noel noir noel yes and oh my gosh i like shared the image with friends and they were immediately who did this i want it it's so cool kate i always Thank love you i love what you do and i'm so excited all the time to see what you come up with Thank you. The Noir Noel was actually, the idea uh, was recommended to me by one of my patrons on Patreon. Oh, cool. And um, he actually also came up with the Betty Davis one, the you Betty watch out, you Betty not cry. <laughs> um, <laughs> and I feel like I should just like have him come up with all of my ideas because those were my two bestsellers this year. <laughs> oh, really? He's good at puns. Yeah. 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 Very yeah. cool. But I, I am very happy with the Noir Noel one. I'd like to do more like everyone I've done in the past has been sort of just like uh, photos that I edit um, to be Christmassy for the cards yeah. with a pun. But that one was a complete, you know, yeah, illustration. And I'd like to do more like that next year. Oh, it was so beautiful. It's in my drawer Thank right you. now for next Christmas. So anyone listening, just forget that that's the card you're going to receive. So, <laughs> yes. Because with the mail, I like got them way too close to Christmas, even though I, I ordered them really early. But the mail was really crazy last year. So Yeah, a lot of stuff was taking like two or three weeks to get where it was going after I mailed it. I, it was a very stressful Christmas season. <laughs> I know. Yeah, I felt so bad because I'm sure everyone was frustrated. And you especially were very frustrated because you do this wonderful work. And it's like, it's not my fault. Yes. It's tough because a lot of people don't understand, like, even if the tracking says, like, I mailed it, it's at the post office. If it's taking two or three weeks to get to them, they don't realize that's not my fault. No, <laughs> you know? not at all. Yeah. Uh, 
Send them my way. I'll talk to them. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> well, you're a woman of impeccable taste and passion. And I was so excited when you suggested four-time Oscar nominee Ed Harris as the subject you wanted to discuss for your first return to the podcast. And shout out to our mutual Twitter friend and blogger, Blake, whose China Moon post served as the inspiration. You will hopefully be hearing from her soon on Watch With Jen as well. Ed Harris is so talented, diverse, and prolific, and there are so many ways we could have gone here. But what I love is that while, of course, we'll talk about his other work, you chose four films that perhaps get overlooked in his varied career. But before we get into those, I wanted to ask you just what it is about Ed Harris that you respond to and admire. First of all, just he shows up in a lot of movies where you're not really expecting him and sort of worms his way into like um, your consciousness as yeah. a moviegoer, you know, like where every movie, there's so many movies from the 90s that I grew up watching and he just would be like one of the supporting characters and it, and you just start realizing like, hey, this guy is in a lot of good movies <laughs> and it's yes. almost like if he shows up in a movie, you think, oh, this is going to be a pretty good movie. Exactly. <laughs> and um, after a while, I just thought, you know what, instead of him just showing up in movies and I'm always like, oh, good, he's in this. I should actually start <laughs> seeking out the movies he's in. Um, I realized that he's just such a versatile actor and that he's he's able to do so many different things. But he also is really good at supporting, like even when he's the star, he's yes. such a good supporting actor if that makes sense. It does. Like, he he seems like he's very willing to share the screen with people and yep. not always have to be in the spotlight. But when he is in the spotlight, he's amazing. <laughs> he really is. No, I couldn't agree more. And FYI, once we get into the films, I did want to mention that there will be spoilers in the conversation today. Well, I thought it would be best to go chronologically through your selections, but feel free, of course, to talk about any film or role whenever you'd like. We've got an interesting mix of good Ed Harris heroes and bad, or at the very least, complicated ones here. He's an actor very well known for playing real American figures and heroes. His turn as John Glenn in The Right Stuff was his big breakthrough performance and one of my favorites. He was also Gene Kranz in Apollo 13, E. Howard Hunt in Nixon. He played John McCain in Game Change and more. And he's also in two biopics we'll be discussing today. Starting in 1985, we find Ed Harris playing against type of the all-American G-shucks goodness that we saw in him as John Glenn two years earlier in The Right Stuff. In director Carol Rice's follow-up to The French Lieutenant's Woman, Sweet Dreams, we see legendary country singer Patsy Cline's struggled rise to stardom and marriage to the initially charming but ultimately cocky, tempestuous, and violent Charlie Dick, played with intensity by Ed Harris. Klein is brought brilliantly to life by Jessica Lange in an Oscar-nominated role that Meryl Streep desperately wanted. She even still says it's the one that got away. But after she saw Jessica Lange, she admitted that she didn't think she could do it nearly as well or come close to Lange's amazing performance. So, Kate, what did you think of Sweet Dreams and these performances? Well, I actually, I really loved Sweet Dreams, but also I didn't know that about 
about Meryl Streep. And I didn't I either. Can't imagine her in that role. Actually, I think Jessica no. Lange is so perfect. She has such a energy to her that it like just vibrates off the screen. And I I like Meryl Streep, but I just can't imagine that seeming yeah. natural. Like she's such a I consider her much more like sort of subdued reserved yeah yeah reserved person where I just can't imagine her being as like um wild vivacious yes yeah um yeah Jessica Jessica Lange is perfect in that and I also I had read some reviews where people complained that she didn't sing for the role but I thought that them using the actual recordings from Patsy Cline was perfect I I didn't want to hear somebody trying to sing like her I wanted to hear Patsy Cline (laughs) Oh, I agree. I mean, her voice is so singular. It's like, yeah, yeah, don't put that on the actor. Sometimes if they're like in the same octave range or vocal range, sure, try it. But no, especially because Patsy was only around and only had hits for such a short time. So she's in all of our public consciousness. Mm -hmm. So I think it would have been hard to hear somebody else. Yeah. Yeah. But um, but other than that, I just I think that they did a really good job. She had such a short life and they I did know. such a good job of ter- like stretching it into a movie that doesn't feel like a compact life. Like I, I after I watched it and then I read um, I looked up to see like how old she was when she died because I didn't know uh, actually before I watched the movie and she was 30. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> and, and I. I, I couldn't believe how much life there she was. Lived. Yes. You know, like it, it was, that was amazing to me that she was only 30, but, um, but I just thought they did a great job. And I actually also really liked the dynamic between her and Ed Harris that yeah. um, like he is, he does turn out to be a violent, um, mm-hmm. you know, not, not a great husband, but yeah. um but I liked that they were honest about it. And it was like, he, he actually ended up being very, Charlie Dick ended up being, uh, after she died, he really worked hard to make sure that her legacy um, very much you know, stayed in the public consciousness and, and everything. But they, they didn't like sugarcoat what Mm-mm. he was like for the movie, even though he did try to like sort of make up for things afterwards. I thought that yeah. was nice and and I also thought it was obviously an amazing I wouldn't have picked it if I didn't think it was an amazing Ed Harris performance it really Um, is and their chemistry is so good yes I I love at the beginning when he's watching her and is just like so enchanted yes and it's one it's one thing I know we're going to get to milk money later Mm -hmm. um but it's one thing that I think he does so well is when he's supposed to be like falling in love in a movie it looks so real yeah I, I, I feel like he's actually falling in love with his co-star when he's looking at them and I feel like a lot of people don't pull that off well um oh. but it it seems so authentic and he just seems so um taken with her and yeah. and I, I just and and I love that it's so um the just the scenes when he's watching her perform and realizing how much he likes her I just yes. really liked the, liked those scenes I, I feel like he's a little pushy when he goes to meet her for the first time oh but. my gosh I know <laughs> very much <laughs> she holds her own <laughs> she does yeah and I'm wondering if well I know his relationship with the man she was with of course uh Sam Shepard was very good and they were in the right stuff too 
yes, her partner, uh, Sam Shepard, was um, a good friend and a good co-star of Ed Harris. And I read that it was in a Sam Shepard play that his soon-to-be wife, Amy Madigan, who he worked with on, I think it was Places in the Heart, first saw him and was like, wow, this is what everyone is talking about when they talk about Ed Harris. So I think his relationship with Sam and maybe I'm guessing by extension, Jessica Lange might have helped with that, but I agree. They're just so in tune with one another. And it's really like those scenes of them dancing outside the rainbow room was just beautiful. I I love that they go back to that at the end. I do too. Yeah, I thought that was beautiful. And I also like the scene where they're dancing inside yes. um, in the bar. I just, there were a lot of scenes of them at the beginning before things start falling mm-hmm. apart a little bit that were just so beautiful. And I just, but even when things do fall apart, I still love the yeah. <laughs> chemistry that they, they just, you know, the ups and downs are just very yeah. Well done. I also yeah. really liked uh, her mom. I thought she was really good. The relationship with her mom is one of my favorite yeah. things about about Patsy Cline, actually, and Sweet Dreams, because you can just see that. I mean, she had to grow up really fast and be the breadwinner for the family, and they touch on that a little bit and don't make it too melodramatic. But I love her relationship with her mom and how she kind of does that thing where her mom is not like a star mom at all. She has to goad her into like suggesting her to sing on a show just so she can get out there. She's like, I'm not lying. You are my friend. (laughs) Yes, exactly. Oh, that was so much fun. The one thing I do take issue with is probably just me. I it's also similar to Pollock. I didn't really want to see like the impact of the death at the end, like in the plane. I think it was important to show who was on board and that these were people she really cared about. But when it crashes in, spoiler alert, against the the mountain, I was just like, well, I think people who know about Patsy Cline know that she died in a a plane crash. Um, That was like, oh man. So I was glad that they went from there to the two of them dancing outside the rainbow room. So I was in shock for a minute and then it was like okay thank you for soothing me because like I almost had a heart attack yeah that was too much it it was also like when I I was wondering because nobody survived the plane crash no and um they have her say Charlie right before she yeah that was and that that was one thing I was a little bit like "Mm." yeah that was a bit (laughs) that really happened (laughs) yeah it seemed a little too movie-ish to me. It did, yeah. So in retrospect, like, great movie. Maybe just show them board the airplane and then yeah. cut. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> exactly. yeah, I think actually anything like that, if they do board the airplane and then you cut to, like, the family getting the phone call, yes. that's the way to do it. I'm not a fan of the, no. yeah, when they yeah. see it coming, especially because you don't, there was nobody, it's a little bit different in Pollock because um, his girlfriend survived. Yes, that's so true. She, she could actually say, this is what was happening exactly yeah. when everything happened. But with uh, Patsy Klein, there's nobody mm-hmm. to say what exactly happened in that yeah. plane, I guess. Although, yeah, actually, maybe true. if there was a black box, maybe. Oh, really good I point. I don't know if they, yeah. 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 Okay, well maybe everything I just said was wrong. (laughs) I have no idea either. So 
we'll just leave it out there to the world. And I'm sure they will tell us if we're totally full of it or not. Yeah, so I would be very curious to know if there actually was like some recording where she did say Charlie and <laughs> it wasn't just made up for the movie. <laughs> there you go. Yes. Oh, it was really excellent though to see Jessica Lange had already done Francis and she'd done some other work where she was really establishing herself. But I feel like following this up again, she's somebody just like Ed Harris, who's in a lot of these biopics. I thought it was a really good like stratosphere <laughs> seeing yeah. her. Yeah. Just skyrocket. Like this is a woman to pay attention to. Yeah. Yeah. And she really, again, like her energy, it's just yes. unbelievable in that movie. And I feel like, it's one of those ones where you feel like you're watching the person that they're supposed to be portraying. You don't feel like you're watching Jessica Lange. Do you I know agree. It, yeah. That it, it really feels bothers like she's me. embodying yeah. Patsy Cline. No, I get that way sometimes, especially biopics because they make so yes. many like the one um, Bohemian Rhapsody. It was like, yeah, mm -hmm. this is Rami Malek. Come on. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I didn't oh, really... I have, I'm so picky about biopics where um, I think that at the Oscars, they should actually, at this point, have an entirely different acting category for biopics because Agreed. If, they just keep winning. The people yeah. who portray people who we're familiar with win yeah. Oscars so often because we're like, yes, they did a good job of being that person that we already know. Yeah. But a lot of people create characters from scratch and do an amazing job. And for some reason, yes. it isn't as recognized as when you recreate um, or do an impersonation of another, yeah. you know, a living person. So I feel like it should just be two characters. I mean, two categories. Uh, Agreed. New characters that were created just for the screen and biopics. And then it solves that problem. Because I feel like if you did an amazing job in a movie and then you find out that like, you know, Renee Zellweger is portraying Judy Garland, you're like, great. I I'm know. not going to win. <laughs> there oh, 100%. No, I completely agree with you. Yeah. So let's have a truth and a fiction category. Yes. Yes. Okay. We solved I that mean, problem. <laughs> they've already split things like adapted screenplay and, you know, there's yeah. different ones that have already been sort of like segmented. I think it's time for four acting categories. No, I, I agree. Let's do it. Yes. <laughs> well, our next two films were released in 1994 but whether you go alphabetically or when it was shot, we wind up going with my favorite of the two first. It's the film that inspired today's conversation, shot in 1991, but shelved for three long years. We're talking about the unsung, sexy, neo-noir China Moon with Ed Harris, Madeline Stowe, and Benicio Del Toro. Set in hot and muggy Florida, the film from frequent Paul Schrader and Lawrence Kasdan cinematographer, John Bailey as director, finds Ed Harris as, as a detective who gets mixed up with the mysterious, seductive, and very married Madeline Stowe. She has an abusive, domineering, unfaithful husband. In a great sly supporting turn, Benicio del Toro stars as Ed Harris's young partner, who he's trying to train to be more observant. The only thing is, though, that observation might just get him in trouble when he gets involved in a body heat style mess that threatens to be his undoing. It is a dark, fatalistic noir that some immediately brushed off as a retread of better adult thrillers from the era. But if you're a fan of those like I am, 
and appreciate the beauty of the film, the terrific, talented cast, and a nice twisty plot line, I think you will be surprised by how much you enjoy this one. I know you're a fan, Kate, so tell me about China Moon and your take on the early 90s romantic thriller. Well, I loved it. I watched it for the first time last year. And the twist... I think I did too. Yeah. The, tw the twist completely got me. I didn't see it coming. Did nope. Yeah. It came out of nowhere for me. <laughs> I was I like, wait, what? Yes. <laughs> and um, I just rewatched it last night. And having seen it before, I was paying attention for clues as to like, you know, the twist yes. ending up. And I was like, oh, I see, he, you know, he's like staying behind and he's going to stay in the car and grab his gun. And like, yeah. there were all these things where, you know, and when she's like, what kind of gun do you carry? There were just yeah. so many clues leading up to it. And I completely didn't see them coming the first time. It was so well-crafted that yeah. you just, I mean, I'm sure there are some people who saw the, saw the twist coming, but for me, it oh, was yeah. completely out of nowhere. And I was shocked. And even, and the ending too. I, yes. I, when, the first time I watched it when he got shot and I was like what what What's happened happening? yeah I know it's like is this crisscross I mean yeah I couldn't believe it and I also loved there uh at one point when he discovers um you know that they had been playing him for a fool the whole time and she says no after I met you it changed it was real and I was like yeah right you're just saying I that. know but, yeah. but then she shoots Benicio del Toro at the end and I yep. was like it was real <laughs> <laughs> I know the character that I totally like I knew we were going to get a twist and she was going to be involved like as the femme fatale I mean mm -hmm. everybody kind of saw that coming but I didn't realize that who else was in it. The yes. one that I really didn't know was linked was the mysterious blonde woman. Or I think I can say that without giving a big, well, it's a spoiler. I guess. Oh, I'm sorry. I, I just was, I just said he got killed at the end. I'm oh, you're fine. Spoilers spoiler, <laughs> spoiler warning on the beginning of this. But yeah, I, I did not see her involvement at all. I'm like, why is this chick there and then there? And yeah. Yes. Yeah, and also the first time that I watched it, I think I was confused about why she was there. And then I kind of forgot that that had happened. And then the second time I watched it, when she went to the hotel, I thought, oh, she's making the phone call. Yeah. That's going to make it look like she was still in Miami. And then it all came together. Yeah. Um, and I, I mean, there were just, there was so much. I, I, I also, I just can't believe that like the plan involved her going to a bar and just catching Ed Harris's eye, like that they were so confident. I know. <laughs> that all she had to do was look at him and this whole yes. plan would fall into place. I know. That is true. I mean, it is Madeline Stowe. Let's, let's, yeah. let's get that out there. But yeah, I mean, maybe they knew like the type of women he was into or yeah. what, I guess. But my goodness, I know. That's a really that was good all point, Kate. Yes. <laughs> Just look at him. Yeah. 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 <laughs> He'll be like, like, I'll duck, I'll duck out for a minute. You catch his eye from across the bar. We're gold. <laughs> <laughs> I love that so much. Oh my God. That's funny. Yeah. And, and you don't like, really see him in these too much, like playing yeah. the romantic hero or that kind of thing. And yeah. I know there were so many of these adult thrillers from the era, the erotic thrillers or sexy thrillers, whatever you want to call them. I just loved them so much. I'm disappointed we don't really make them too much anymore. 
So it kind of bothers me that this sat on the shelf for three years. I don't know why, if it was like a studio thing or what was behind it, but maybe they were like, oh, there's too many of these now. So we're just going to hold off. Yeah, I think it's great. Although also this is another one where um, after I watched it, this happens to me a lot is, you know, I watch a movie and then I go on Letterboxd and I read the reviews. <laughs> and if I loved a movie, everybody hated it. If I hated a movie, everybody loved it. It's, hey, I never seem to line sometimes. up with the consensus. <laughs> but like it, it didn't have great reviews and I was just shocked. I think it's a really good movie. I do too. I think that in the future especially now it's on a bunch of services to either rent and every once in a while it's on like free services as well. I think, I think it might be on Tubi right now. And I think the more access people get to this, we'll be like, this is really good. Kind of like yeah. another Ed Harris movie, Jackknife with Robert De Niro. Yeah. Oh, and Robert that De Niro. came out in the late eighties. Of course, it's like, I'm talking to Jen. Yeah. She's going to bring up De Niro. No. <laughs> So the late 80s, but it was one that like I really hadn't, I either thought I saw or didn't remember. I saw it on one of those free services a few years ago and it was like, geez, this was a good movie that not too many people talked about. I know Ed Harris was really proud of that one too. I've watched that one. I've watched literally like since like August, I'm looking at my letterbox. I've watched like 21 Ed Harris movies. Oh, really? I, that's cool. Well, part, part of it was like, I was already on like a bit of an Ed Harris binge and that's when uh, we discussed doing the podcast. And then, and you were like, well, you know, which four movies do you want to discuss? And I was like, well, now I have to watch like every Ed Harris movie and decide which four. <laughs> I know. I love so. that about you. Yes. You're a woman who's prepared. <laughs> so I, I watched like a bunch and then narrowed it down to these four but which I know like and like you said it's, there's so many that seem more ob like obvious choices than these four um but like there's just something about them where yeah it's know, good it's, to kind of you know remind people that these exist yeah. yeah I mean I also there were a couple that I really liked that I didn't it was very difficult to choose but there were a couple like the abyss have you seen that one yeah. That yep. was amazing. I was so yes. tempted to go with that one. But, Excellent film. Um, that was one of my fav like favorite new-to-me movies last year. I really liked that one. Oh, cool. I, I feel like, I mean, it's from the 80s, but I felt like, um, I'm sorry, I'm getting into a movie that's not on the list. But, hey, but no, like, people love it, it. Go ahead. It had that feel. Like, I love a good, like, 90s disaster movie. Yes. <laughs> you know, like, Dante's Peak, Twister, um, and it had that kind of feel to me, like, you know, something is going wrong on a large scale for these like five people. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I, I just love movies like that. It was, it was very good. He has been in some really good science fiction-y kind of movies. And I think that might be one of his best. Yeah. yeah. Also, wait, what was the other one that I just watched? Oh, Needful Things. That was good. Do you know, I've never seen that. Is it it's good? Yeah. streaming somewhere. It might be HBO. Okay. Um, I'll also look for that. Yeah, it was good. It was weird mm -hmm. um and also they're like I have a hard time with um when like animals get hurt in movies oh yeah I know it's too. not real but like <laughs> but uh, yeah there there was an unexpected thing with a dog in that that really disturbed me but other than that I thought it okay. was good yeah just a head trigger warning so. for everybody dog issue but otherwise yeah. good 
No, that's good to know. And, and it comes from like literally out of nowhere. It was like, oh, it was disturbing. Oh. Hey, that ties back in with China Moon, something coming out of nowhere. No, yeah. <laughs> except now we've told everyone about it. No, just kidding. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, you have to though. Okay. So bad at talking about movies if I'm not including spoilers. <laughs> yeah, me too. Oh, don't worry about it. Uh, Ed Harris is not known for comedies. He assures interviewers all the time that he does have a sense of humor, but he's more synonymous with his sincere, fully present dramatic work, like in The Hours, or A History of Violence, or Truman Show, or Glengarry Glenn Ross. He did attempt humor in the 1994 family film, although I'm tempted to say that phrase using air quotes, milk money from actor turned my favorite year, Money Pit, and Mermaids director Richard Benjamin. To tie this in with China Moon, director John Bailey from China Moon was Richard Benjamin's cinematographer on Racing with the Moon, which came out in the early 80s, really good film with Sean Penn, and Nicolas Cage. Milk Money, though, is an unusual movie. Three boys decide that the one thing that will unlock the key to the universe or the mysteries of sex is if they were to see a naked lady. So they save their money, go to the city, and hire a hooker with a heart of gold played by Melanie Griffith to do the honors. It turns out she's also in trouble. So with a few contrivances, the sex worker opts to hide out in the suburbs with the boys, hiding in one's treehouse where she passes as a math tutor, unbeknownst to her, and falls for one of the kids, widowed environmental activist and science teacher fathers, charmingly played by Ed Harris. This is not my favorite. I think it's a little too cynical and kind of twisted to be sweet. And it's definitely one of the horniest kids movies you're ever going to see. But it means well, and the cast is great. It's so 90s, though, that you're going to hear Dreams by the Cranberries and Closer to Free by the Bodines, which was the theme song to Party of Five. I actually saw both of those bands in concert in 1996. So I'm like right oh at gosh. that age. Yes. I enjoy the supporting actors, especially Terrence Stamp as the villain who at one point yells at poor dark-haired Anne Heche to cork her bloody beak. I laughed way too hard at that. <laughs> the film occasionally does have its moments, and I do really like Ed Harris in it. So Kate, what did you think of his comedic side and milk money? Well, I have to say, I when I picked this, uh -huh. I almost wanted to be able to talk to you about it first. Because <laughs> I know it's not the most popular movie. It does not have a good reputation. <laughs> um, and I feel like if you go into it not knowing what you're getting watch, into, yeah, um, it's a little like, wait, what am I watching? <laughs> I mean, it's like, is it a comedy? Like you said, is it yeah. for kids? Is it not for kids? Um, I know. You know is it a like a heist film? Is it a car chase <laughs> film? Like, what exactly is this movie? Yeah, <laughs> but, are they looking for milk? No. <laughs> yeah. Um, but my interest in this movie started when I was a kid, and okay. the commercials the were on TV. Yeah. I didn't actually see the movie until I was like in my twenties. But okay. I was so enchanted by the trailer when I was little. I don't know why. There was just something about 
about it that I was like, I would love to see this movie. And then <laughs> at some point I was old enough um, and saw it and was like, hmm, this isn't like exactly what I thought it no. would be from the trailer. Yeah. But I did like it and I liked Ed Harris in it. And then a few years later, I like watched it again and it's been steadily growing on me to the point that I wrote a, a long blog post about this like last year comparing it to Truffaut. <laughs> Are you serious? Oh, yes. that's interesting. You um, know, there's something about this. I think it was Janet Maslin in her review said like this movie should be it deserves. She wasn't a fan, but she did like Ed <laughs> Harris. She's like it deserves to be remade in France. There's something yeah. about it. I think the French would have really nailed it. Yeah, I think that that's actually it. Is it has like like you said about it not being for kids, but not being for grownups. Like it's this in between thing that that Truffaut did really well where um like coming of age stories where um it's definitely a film that's maybe made for people who are a little bit older but it Mm -hmm. still has that point of view of being like 11 or 12 and being interested in the grown-up world but not really being a part of it yet that's true um like there there's a lot about it like obviously I was a girl growing up but there's a lot of um a lot about their interest in being a grown-up that I can relate to from when I was little where you don't really know what is like politically correct to talk oh, about that's yet. true so you're just yeah. like you know what is all this stuff that grown-ups talk about that we're not allowed to know about yet and yes. I feel like the film captured that well and um like the diaphragm I, at the beginning that made yes, me laugh really yes. hard they're like I think it's a <laughs> cup and then baby don't drink out of it till we know yes, yes. <laughs> that was so very funny. funny. Yeah. But, um, but it, it is like just sort of the unknown and being curious uh, and not knowing that there are certain things like, like actually in the beginning when they're trying to find uh, a woman to pay mm-hmm. um, and they don't know how to tell which women would be open to it. And they just randomly go up to a woman on the street <laughs> and yes. she slaps them, you know, when, when they're yeah. like, you know, you know, can we pay you for you to take your top off? And, <laughs> and, and it's sort of like, that's actually the movie in a nutshell is like in that scene where they don't realize that what they're saying is not something no. they yeah. should be saying. And sort of the whole movie is like that, where it's from the point of view of kids who don't know what's okay yet and just being curious. But, um, but yeah. anyway, I, I just, I think there's so many through lines to Truffaut in this movie. Um, with just the, you know, the coming of age, the adolescent boys trying to figure out their place in the world and sort of trying to be grownups before they're ready to be grownups. And then Mm -hmm. even like, they're randomly being like this, like, uh, you know, crime world car chase scene (laughs) is very like shoot the piano player. A little bit, yeah. Um, There's, you know, and even, I feel like this movie has a lot of the like women are magic uh kind of Truffaut yes uh, point of view you know where um Ed Harris uh, always is saying that his wife was Grace like Grace Kelly and then um even Melanie Griffith has a picture of Grace Kelly hanging up in her apartment and Mm -hmm. it's sort of like when he when Ed Harris sees her for the first time it's that thing I was talking about it's this enchanted yeah um, looks in awe yes yes so taken with her and I feel like that's very similar to the the Truffaut theme of like women are you know where there's so many of his movies where somebody is like are women magic <laughs> you know like it's just That's a re- recurring theme yes. and so I I just feel like 
if the movie is approached from that point of view where it's like, you know, the things that we admire in some Truffaut movies, if you sort of just look at it from that perspective, that it actually is a good movie. It's just like, it was made in the nineties in America instead of the fifties in France. I was going to say, it felt like kind of an old movie made in modern times a little bit. I think it would have maybe played better if because it feels a little 50s, like you could almost see Shirley MacLaine or uh, Jane Fonda or somebody from that the 50s or 60s, Debbie uh, Reynolds, I think would have mm-hmm. been really good yeah. in this kind of role. And I do really admire when Melanie Griffith is on, she is amazing. Like Working Girl is one of my favorite films. And there's just something kind of magical about her mm-hmm. that I think... Also a little bit timeless, like she seems very modern, of course, but also that she could have been an ingenue back in those days. Yes. Much like her mother. Yes. Yes. (laughs) I know. And this is one that Ed Harris discusses often in interviews. He says, you know, people are like, what is the movie that people come up to you the most about in airports? He's like, well, for guys, they'll just yell at me, The Rock, or I love The Rock. And he said, but randomly, people will often come up and say, Milk Money is my favorite movie. And he said, it does make him laugh a little bit. Like, really? Like, but he said, I'm, he's kind, though. He's like, of course, I'm really glad you enjoyed it, which I thought is nice, because I think, Let's face it, this is probably a paycheck movie for him. Yeah. But but he doesn't treat it that way. It's no. not like a throwaway performance at all. I, I also think he's so cute in it. Like I, yes. I love how nerdy he is. Yeah, he's like an environmental activist before the time. Yeah. Yes. I just I love the scene towards the beginning when he is in his um, greenhouse and his son comes in with the umbrella because there's like automatic sprinklers that come on and Ed Harris is standing there like in his bathrobe getting wet, just being so excited about wetlands. (laughs) I know. (laughs) Yes. Oh, he does have that sort of nerdy quality. You would have maybe seen like a Jimmy Stewart or somebody playing Mm -hmm. that part too I don't know why I keep comparing it to an old movie but it sort of feels like that like even the friend I was was just gonna say I kind of wonder if that's part of the reason I actually like it is because I like older movies so much and it it does have it's almost like an old movie that was made with uh like pg-13 uh elements in 1994 or whatever I think that's why for me it was kind of off-putting is because part of it does seem like that. Like even uh, one of the kids in the movie has this leather jacket that they all covet because all the girls love it. And it's sort of like, what is this, Back to the Future? Or, you know, like the 50s or this magical jacket uh, like James Dean or the wild one, Marlon Brando. It's like, I almost think it needed to be. And at the end, they do have like a 50s style sock hop. Yeah. Yeah. And I was thinking this, you know, should have been an older movie. What was interesting. Oh, go for it. Sorry, go ahead. Oh, I was going to say one thing that kind of shocked me when I read about it was that the script was purchased on spec for $1.1 million. Yes, I read that too. I mean, that's crazy to me that, Yeah. yeah, that there was like a bidding war among studios and a lawsuit because the Dino De Laurentiis people wanted it. 
And uh, Joe Dante, who directed, you know, The Burbs and all these great movies, was going to be the first one, but they wanted him to work with non-union and make it in Canada. And then it wound up being Kennedy Marshall, which I was kind of surprised. This doesn't really seem like a Kennedy Marshall property. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, I think when you look at it like that, you see what they were going for. And doesn't fully work for me but I can really see that like its heart is in the right place yeah I think it has a like a lot of heart I think that might be part of the reason that I do like it is yeah it's it does feel like um it it feels like it means well yes you know yeah it's not trying to creep you out (laughs) yeah yeah it's like any of the creepy elements are in my opinion from the perspective of like a 10 or 11 year old yeah doesn't know that that's creepy (laughs) but but also like the fact that it is so like 50s ish there's I think the first time that Melanie Griffith shows up in the suburbs and she looks around and she's like it's like television (laughs) I know and I think that is part of it I mean I also I did you grow up in the suburbs yes okay because it it actually felt very authentic to me like the 90s suburbs um it felt even though it does seem sort of 50s-ish, it actually mm-hmm. felt very authentic to me and reflective of what my childhood was like. Like I said, even though obviously everything was from the perspective of being a girl, mm-hmm. um, there there was that like all the neighborhood kids getting together, you know, in someone's backyard and like just wondering about grown-up stuff and yeah, you know, that's like, true. Uh, all getting on our bikes and trying to go somewhere and like that kind of stuff all did feel authentic, even though it might seem a little bit more fifties than nineties. Yeah, no, very good point. Well, the last selection you chose to focus on is arguably the most famous film on the list and one that garnered Ed Harris, another Oscar nomination and earned his co-star Marsha Gay Harden an Academy award for best supporting actress for her role as Lee Krasner, the wife of Harris's Jackson Pollock in Ed Harris's directorial debut, the 2000 film Pollock. A 10 years in the making passion project for Harris after he read and loved Stephen, probably gonna say this wrong, I apologize, Nypha and Gregory White Smith's Pulitzer Prize winning 1989 biography, Jackson Pollock in American Saga shot in 50 days with a six week break so that Harris could gain 30 pounds and grow the beard required to play Pollock in his later years. And Harris does all of his own painting in the movie. But while it's thrilling to see him doing so as the famous and one of my favorites, abstract painters, he most comes to life in the neurotic mania of the great but tortured artist, Jackson Pollock, whose moods could shift with the wind and or how much alcohol he had consumed that day. The entire cast of the film is excellent. And I really got a kick out of, of course, Marsha Gay Harden, but also seeing his real life wife, the talented actress, Amy Madigan play Peggy Guggenheim and supporting roles with Val Kilmer as de Kooning, John Hurd as Tony Smith and Jennifer Connelly as the artist and Pollock's mistress, Ruth Kligman, who does survive the car crash that took his life and her friend's life. It's a grueling film that takes a lot out of you, but it's a fascinating one. And I'm especially curious to know how you respond to this one as an artist. So what did you think of Pollock? 
Well, that question specifically, it was actually a tough, it was a tough film for me because I, when I was a kid, I was obsessed with like the great artists. There was this series of books. um, Oh, I wish I could remember the name of the artist, but they, um, they were for kids and it would have like uh, paintings reproduced in the book. And then there would be little cartoon characters that were sort of like, uh, explaining the paintings or and it would tell the life uh, the story of the life of the painter and it would be like Picasso and Dali and Pollock and um my parents got me those when I was little and that was sort of what sparked me wanting to be an artist was learning about these painters and wanting to like have my work in galleries and do yeah. these paintings that were like the size of a wall you know, I know. And, and um, and my parents always used to take me to the Princeton Art Museum so I could see the paintings in person. And oh, cool! Um, so uh, the the source of the career I have now was, you know, seeing these great artists and wanting to be like them. And my career definitely, I still make my living being an artist, but it definitely took a turn <laughs> somewhere. <laughs> and um, I, you know, I mostly make my money by selling like accessories with my drawings on them and, you know, mm-hmm. t-shirts and things like that. And it's not so much like the giant wall of a museum yeah. <laughs> <kind> of <laughs> artwork. Um, and so watching this, it, it made me it made me feel a lot of things. I felt a little bit like I had strayed somewhere and wasn't really on the the path I had wanted to go on originally. And I, I was like, spent all night after I watched it thinking like, I need to make art again. Oh, <laughs> like, <laughs> um, it was, it was dramatic, but, uh, <laughs> yeah. but, um, you know, and, and also I, uh, probably like the last 10 years have almost exclusively done, um, figurative work where I'm trying to actually, you know, draw a real thing that exists in the world and seeing him creating abstract art made me want to go back to doing that a little bit again that I missed oh, cool. yeah. um, just doing, you know, freeform artwork. And there was a quote, I actually, I wrote this down because it just, it's actually a real Jackson Pollock quote that they say in the movie. Um, and it just like hit me where he said, uh, today painters do not have to go to a subject matter outside of themselves. Most modern painters work from a different source. They work from within. And that just struck me. That gave me goosebumps. Yeah. Yeah. It it was just so like, I thought there's so many times where I think, what should I draw? And I'll like, look around my room. Like, should I draw that orange? (laughs) Should I draw this? you know, this book. And it's like, no, you can draw something that just comes out of you. And that's what, that didn't exist. And really until people like Pollock started doing their work. And I just, it was very inspirational to me and very, but also very like a kick in the pants to (laughs) try to do more like, not that what I do isn't real art, but you know what I mean? Like to, to oh, return to yeah. um, trying to do more like work on canvas and with actual paint and stuff, not just drawing on my iPad. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, I really, it's it's like, it made me want to go in the garage, throw something on the ground. I know. <laughs> yes. It was no, it very does. inspirational. Yeah. But, I, I can totally relate because I've written movie reviews and write about film all the time but I originally started I mean I did that in school as well but writing creative stuff like screenplays were kind of my first thing I started doing or writing fiction actually most of the awards I won back in the day were for like creative stuff and then I kind of like veered into academia and writing about movies too much and 
so every once in a while, I'm like, no, just put everything down and like, you know, grab a pen and just write something again. And yeah, so watching him do that, you do, you start questioning, like, am I doing the right thing? Or yeah, exactly. It is. I think like, no matter what, like type of creative work you do, if you watch a movie like this, you end up rethinking all of your life decisions. (laughs) I know. It's like, I want to be creative right now. Yes. the one big thing I remember, I hadn't seen this since I first saw it, like when it was new. And I will never forget going to the video store. And the guy, as soon as I walked in, the guy's like, oh, we got one in. I think you're going to like, it's called Polak. Oh, <laughs> like, my heart. <laughs> I know. And so I told him, oh, thanks. I've been wanting to see Pollock. Like I did that gentle thing, you know? And, uh, and he's like, oh, is that how you say it? Like he had no... <laughs> He hadn't watched the movie yet. He just was like, hey, she likes kind of art type things. So (laughs) anyway, but when I saw the movie, I remember that one of the big surprises, because most of my familiarity with Jackson Pollock was with that really big, you know, the drip stuff and the abstract work that he did. And it was interesting at the beginning of the movie, you see him kind of like modeling sort of the Picasso style of painting. So that was new. Like I was unfamiliar with that period of his life. I guess I didn't know that much about him, except that he was kind of mercurial and, you know, had some problems. But yeah, so I thought that was really good. And I love that Ed Harris and the screenwriters, actually, uh, Barbara Turner. Barbara Turner, of course, is, just for everyone listening, Jennifer Jason Lee's mom, (laughs) Susan M. Schwiller. Yes. Okay. When I, when I saw the film and also before he was really famous. Yeah. So kind of like we see the struggle and the rise similar to what we saw in Sweet Dreams. And I thought that was kind of, that was cool to watch them sort of in the same week. I also like that um, by showing the artwork at the beginning, it's showing that he was struggling to find his own style because I feel like, especially people who are familiar with the um the drip the paint can uh artwork they might not realize that it's like that didn't just happen that he like became an artist and was like I know I'm going to do the specific (laughs) thing that no one else has done yeah a lot of artists even Picasso that he had so many periods you know like and if you go to um museums you can see like the paintings that he did when he was really young are figurative they they look you know um, they don't have any of like the abstract elements that he ended up adding. He was just doing like, you know, the potato eaters, like the, yeah. just a painting of what he was seeing. And it, it eventually evolved when he found his style. And it's like, um, I think it's reassuring to yeah. watch that because I- so many of us are like, what can I do that's different from what's already been done? And in the meantime, you're still doing these things that are still sort of derivative. No, Um, I agree. And and it's like, just sort of nice to see like that someone that well-known and respected now also struggled with that, you know? Yeah. And I really love the relationship between him and Marsha Gay Harden's Lee Krasner. It was really kind of cool to see her approach him as an artist and mm-hmm. then like respect one another and their work. That was kind of cool. It was, I mean, of course they wind up together, but in the film, it's like she seduces him. But usually you kind of think of men sort of tolerating or 
cheering on women's art because they're trying to score points or score. And so that was kind of a nice, refreshing thing. Like, no, they actually respect one another's opinions and their work. And so I liked that marriage and the dynamic, even before they were married, of just two artists trying to work together. Because I think that's, and live together, I think that's really a hard thing to be with somebody else who's an artist. Because you're always trying, even if you don't want to and you're cheering them on, like, comparing a little bit or have a little envy like wait why did they get that and so I thought that was kind of kind of interesting and the scenes with him and his family like when he finally gets the recognition that he's wanted and it's like he's desperate for them to know hey I'm okay and people like me and they're like you know there are other people to think about here and it was just really sad, but that also felt very true and very genuine. Like he'd had such a hard time and he didn't know how to put that emotion aside or what to do with it. And I thought that was really interesting and a good way to not shy away from that. Like, oh, the great man, he became great and everything was fine. Like, yeah. no. Yeah. I actually, I loved, I, I can't remember if it's his first gallery show or if it's after the Life magazine feature, but he, uh, his mom comes to one of his uh, gallery shows. Uh-huh. And when he turns and sees her and smiles at her, like it, it was such pure joy. And yeah. I, the look on his face, I just thought like, this is beautiful. <laughs> yes. Um, and, and I've like been in, positions like that where I've done something where I'm really proud of it and then like you see like your mom or your dad and like get to look at them and be like this thing I did look can you believe it yeah yeah like just it it was so genuine and I just loved that stood out to me so much I actually when I was watching it I like rewound and just rewatched that scene again because I just really loved his expression when when that happened because it like you said too it's like not just um wanting them to be proud, but after everything he'd been through. Exactly. Like, Look, I did it. Can you yes. believe this? You know, it was, and, and, and I just thought it, he has such swings in this movie of, Oh God. Yeah. You, you know, being incredibly unhappy and like violent and, mm-hmm. you know, horrible, but then to, to have that scene where he's just so humble. Happy and, and, yes. Yeah. It, it was just, I I thought like a very good testament to how good he is in this movie. Yeah, I know. There's so much to his performance. And also that scene, it hits differently too, knowing that he was 4F um, because he was neurotic and we'd seen him like freak out at his family's house and then um, in some sort of, I didn't know if that was a mental institution or just he was being held and Lee kind of helped nurture him. And then to have his family and his mother see him, that was, yeah, that was really moving for yeah, sure. I wasn't sure if that was for, I mean, I probably have to read about it, I guess. But I, my interpretation was it was like maybe an alcoholic. Um, uh, Is that, yeah. Like, they, like uh, what's the word, trying to. Um, dry him out. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Dry him out. That's what I thought that was. And yeah. yeah, I know. It's just really a hard life. Somebody who probably went to alcohol because of his mental issues. And yeah, artists don't have a lot of uh, happy lives. You don't really get that when you start reading about artists. And this sort of captured everything. Yeah. 
I, I think like there's a lot of times I I've thought to myself, I can totally understand like that a lot of artists do turn to alcohol or chop off yeah. their hair. Um, <laughs> I know. You know uh, that, you know, it can be a very defeating job mm-hmm. and you can beat yourself up so much. Yes. Um, but then at the same time, it's like you constantly feel like I need to be making things. Even if you think the things you're making are horrible, there's something inside where you're like, I need to do this. I need to create. Yes. Yes. It it can be a very weird. Draining, um, compulsive. Yeah. Yes. And and I feel like, um, like, I'm actually lucky that now I live in a time period where being an artist can mean making lapel pins and t-shirts and stuff, where for somebody like Pollock, at that time, if you wanted to be an artist, it pretty much just meant paintings and galleries and museums. And I if know. you couldn't achieve that, then, you know, you it was like, what else are you going to do? So, yeah, you know, like it was even more uh, of a dire situation that like you need to get that, you know, patron yeah. that's going to get you in a gallery and, th- you know, that mm-hmm. kind of stuff. I will say, actually, I just remembered one cool thing. Um I used to do the Washington Square Outdoor Art Festival. Oh, really? And um, one of the original, like, people who exhibited there, I think, was actually Pollock. And it wasn't, like, when it was an organized festival. It was, like, it was sort of started where they would just take their paintings out and put them out in Washington Square. And then it eventually grew into... um, an organized festival, but in the cool. little like pamphlet I would get uh, that had like everybody's name in it, you know, it would say like, you know, he was in the village and would display oh. his paintings and stuff. And I always felt like, wow, you know. Yes. Oh, Max that's wonderful. I know. It was very exciting. Absolutely. <laughs> On Pollock. Uh, yes. Because I feel like all I did was talk about Jackson Pollock instead of Ed Harris. Oh no, you're fine. Um, just that I loved his direction in this and mm-hmm. just wanted to mention that because there were a lot of uh, like shots that I thought were amazing. There was one where he was like um, signing his name um, and then it like cut to him actually painting. It was mm-hmm. just like, a really neat um, shot. And then I loved the the scenes of him trying to do the outdoor painting for the person who was recording him. Um, yes. Oh. Which were actually filmed at, uh their house His their estate. real house wow um just the exterior shots mm-hmm. not the interior but i i just there were so many things even the fact that he was so adamant about getting to film at the actual house you know yeah i just thought cool. his direction was fantastic so i just wanted to squeeze oh, that no, in. <laughs> it's a total labor of love and i was watching it the other day and i shared like oh, I'm watching this and like wrote a sentence or two. And somebody on social media, I think it was on Instagram, actually replied that was one of the film's producers. Like he was so glad that we were mentioning it. And uh, he's like, you know, it took a long time to get that one made and produced. And so he was just glad that people still talk about it. And yeah, Ed Harris's first, I still can't believe that's his first film as a director, but I know it's, yeah, you'd think it would be something smaller you would start with. And yes, something that oh, high profile. Also just such a passion project. Yeah. You know, even like the fact that he directed it, starred in it, his wife stars in it. Yeah. It's, you can tell how important it was. Absolutely. You know, 
I just, I, I really liked it. But I would say other movies, um, I just watched Frontera. Have you seen that one? No. And that was really, really good. Um, it was, he plays uh, like a rancher on the southern border. Okay. And um, his wife gets killed by these people who are trying to shoot um, immigrants who are trying to come in across the border. They accidentally shoot his wife. And one of the immigrants gets wrongfully accused of the crime instead of these like hooligans who are, tr- you know, trying to shoot and scare immigrants. And he has a, a really interesting arc where he starts out being kind of anti-immigration, anti-immigrant. Mm. And you can see over the course of the movie that that shifts and he ends up realizing that the person was wrongfully accused. And, mm-hmm. and, and um, I, I just thought it was a, it was a really good movie. And it also sort of, I don't think I mentioned this, but I feel like a lot of the movies that he chooses have, not all of them, obviously, but a yeah. lot of them have sort of like a social message in them. I agree with he you. Ha- yeah. yeah, he has a habit of choosing things that are uh, meaningful. And that was one that definitely, I could see him reading the script and being like, this is something I want to help get this message out. Mm-hmm. And um, it was it was very good. That one was from 2014. Okay, cool. It also I'll had Michael Pena in it. I love him. Who? Michael Pena. Oh, he's so good. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, he was really good in this. And Eva Longoria. Oh, and also his wife is Amy Madigan. Oh, she's in there too? Cool. Yes, yeah. Oh, I love that. Yeah, that one, was. I rented that on YouTube, actually. So that's available. Okay, I was trying, like, it was actually difficult. Some movies that I picked, like China Moon, was actually available on Prime when I watched it in December, like, Mm -hmm. for free. And then I went back to watch it again this week and it wasn't on Prime anymore. It was uh, like you had to do the Cinemax subscription or something. I know. Oh, I hate it when that happens. Yeah. yeah. So I, I was know. trying so hard. I was like, I'm going to pick things that are very easily readily available. I know. <laughs> you just yeah. Can't. With streaming, it changes like, I mean, month to month, but sometimes yeah. it also just week to week. You never know. Yeah. Yeah. Were there any others you mentioned you'd watched like? 20 or 21 movies with yes. him so just watched swing shift the other day that was really good although oh he's yes much more supporting uh, in that he's he disappears for most of the movie and goes to war so i know that's uh, a good one I, he was really good in that and also i mean trying to be professional but looks very good in a sailor suit <laughs> no of course yeah um, <laughs> the firm i really enjoyed his performance in that that was one where i feel like it's like Apollo 13 where he doesn't have a huge role, but you remember when you think about that movie, you remember Ed Harris. Yeah. It's like probably one of the smallest roles in both films when you think about it, but like just so impactful and he just has such a presence that, um, Oh, Oh, also speaking of one where he's not in it a lot. I watched a history of violence after you recommended it. Uh Uh-huh. Again, not in it a lot, but that no. presence, like yes, you can't forget him. Oh my yes. gosh, I know. I, I actually mean, rented it too and haven't watched it again this time. I'm going to watch it later today because I was like thinking about that's the person you really remember in that movie. Yeah. Yes, and yeah. and I was so surprised. Like he, oh, I'm not going to say what happens, but he's not. Oh, you can't. You can't. <laughs> yeah, he, he's not in the whole movie. But, yeah. But like. It's just intense. <laughs> so much gravitas. And like, I think part of it is his voice too, that like yeah. 
when he, like in gravity, he's in gravity and it's only his voice. I know. You know, yeah. but you know, when you hear that voice, you're like, that's yes. Ed Harris. <laughs> that's what he's, you know, obviously only his voice and gravity. And then he's in Apollo 13 and the right stuff. And it's like at the point where I feel like if there's a space movie and you don't and hire Ed it, like, what are you doing? Yeah. Yes. I know. And Apollo 13, thinking of him in that movie, saying failure is not an option. I will never forget seeing an interview with Christopher Reeve. Did you see that one? Yeah. Where he was shortly after his accident and he said he was so depressed. He was thinking about taking his own life almost. And he saw Apollo 13 and he said, when I got to that line, failure is not an option. That became the the thing that kind of was his driving force. It was like, yes, because it's such a good line and he's unforgettable. Yeah. Yeah. It's so powerful. And like if Ed Harris tells you failure is not an option, failure is not an option. It is not. No. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Oh, great movies. Did you happen to see Appaloosa, which is another Uh, one he's in and directed with Viggo Mortensen, who he was in um, History Violence with, and Renee Zellweger. It was, I remember liking it, but again, I haven't seen it since I think it came out in like 2008. So yeah, I haven't seen that one yet. Don't quote me on whether it's still great or like, what was she thinking that day? But I remember liking the movie. Yeah. yeah. Is he the star of that one? He is. Or, yep. Okay. He's the star and the director. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. It's like, I do... Sorry, go ahead. Oh, I was just going to say it's like a Western and a love triangle and mm-hmm. yeah. I'll have to watch that one next. I also, I love, there's so many movies where, like we were saying, where he's such a small role. And I was just looking at like some of the ones I watched and A Beautiful Mind is another one. Stepmom is another one. Where uh, The Truman Show. Oh, Stepmom. Yeah, Truman Show. Oh, love that film. Where he's not the star, but you remember him being such an important part of those movies. And Mm -hmm. his presence, it's like, it's almost like he has so much presence in a movie that it accounts for a larger part of the role, like a larger role than he actually has. Yeah. You think yeah. he's in it he more like, yeah, I rewatched, um, we talked about this a little bit off air, but I rewatched Truman show last night. And in my mind, he was in it way more than he actually was. I hadn't seen it in a long time. I love the film, but he's also perfect for it because he's playing like even at the beginning of the movie, it's, you know, a fake TV show and his credit as the film opens, it says creator and Kristoff. And so he's kind of playing like a Christ like figure and, you know, so there's something you inevitably or inherently you think of him as, Oh, he's good or whatever. And then as you watch the film, you're like, what is going on? And ethically, this is, questionable at best and yeah he's just so good in that film it was a good movie I actually hadn't seen that I think probably since maybe since when it came out and yeah. I rewatched that last year and it's, that is a really good movie it is I know yeah. cast is so wonderful yeah like it was funny to me uh, watching it last night I even looked it up like the piano player like who they have playing the piano is Philip Glass. And I was like, oh my God. And then in a few <laughs> years after that, you know, he's in the hours and the score is Philip Glass. So wow. I always look for the weird stuff like that. No. <laughs> yeah. 
Well, this was such a good topic. Is there anything else you want to mention about Ed Harris or his movies? Or you think no, we've just, covered it pretty good? Yeah, thank you so much for like having me on to talk about this. I know it's so funny because um, like there's a lot of other actors that I'm obsessed with who I yeah. probably am way more knowledgeable uh, about that, but I just have been watching so many Ed Harris movies and I like, am so happy that I got to just talk about them with you. And oh, this was so much fun. You know, and get to talk about how much I enjoy his work. Yeah, absolutely. I completely agree with you. And hey, anytime you want to come back, we can talk about whoever you'd like or whatever you'd like. Maybe a Lantalon. <laughs> yeah. Ooh, that would be a good one. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> I know. We, we kind of have to do that, Kate, I think. Yes. Yeah. Okay. That sounds good. <laughs> This is Jen Johans at filmintuition.com and filmintuition on social media and letterboxd. And this is Watch with Jen.